Today we continue our sermon series entitled, I Pray. We find ourselves in the Old Testament book of Jonah. The prayer of the prophet is marvelous. The location from which he prayed is nothing short of miraculous. This morning I invite you to take your Bible, turn to Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Listen as I read one wail of a prayer. Jonah chapter 2, let's begin at verse 1. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. For salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are at least four lessons that you and I can import into our prayer life from this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. Jonah prayed in spite of guilty distress. Jonah prayed in spite of guilty distress. Jonah lived about 800 years before the coming of Christ. He ministered in the days of the divided kingdom with Israel to the north and Judah to the south. He resided in the northernmost area of Israel, in the land that was given to Zebulun, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. In Jonah chapter 1, we are told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Go to Nineveh and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. What you expect to follow is to read something like this. The man of God was obedient to the word of God. and the power and the spirit of God, he went to go preach. But nothing could be further from the truth. What ensues is a detailed description of Jonah's defiant disobedience. To say that Jonah hated the Ninevites is an understatement. His neighbors to the east were the Assyrians. The Assyrian army represented the bullies on the political playground of the ancient world. It wasn't uncommon for the Assyrians to cross the border, come into Jonah's neighborhood, flex their muscles, give a sucker punch to Israel, and then retreat back home. In the year 722 BC, the Assyrian army would invade and destroy completely the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah predates that inevitable destruction just by a few years. Therefore, it's easy for us to conjure in our minds the reality that Jonah knew what it looked like and sounded like 
for the war machine of the Assyrian Empire to come rumble through his town and his streets. Undoubtedly, Jonah was fully aware of some Israelite children who had been kidnapped by the Assyrians. Jonah knew of some Israelite women who had been raped by the Assyrians. Jonah firsthand knew some Israelite men who had been killed by the Assyrians as they tried to stand up and defend their families. Some of Jonah's closest family and friends had been abducted and executed by the Assyrian army. And now God had the audacity to tell Jonah to go to Nineveh. And oh, by the way, did I tell you that the leading city in the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh? God had the audacity to command Jonah to go to his enemy. God had the audacity to ask of Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. What would you do if God commanded you to be in harm's way? What would you do if God commanded you to go to the last place on the planet that you ever wanted to go? What would you do if God called you to go to your arch enemy and proclaim the gospel? It would be like um, God calling you to go to North Korea. It would be like God calling you to go to Somalia or Afghanistan, places where Christians are put to death on a daily basis simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It could be likened to God calling you to go to the LGBTQ community and preach Christ there. It'd be like God calling you to uproot your family move to the inner city of Boston, Massachusetts, or Los Angeles, California, just two examples of two cities in our country where it seems as if the Christian faith has been muted by the culture. What would you do if God called you to go to your enemy? I can tell you what Jonah did. Jonah resigned his post and tried to outrun God. Why? You ask, why? Why did Jonah resign his post and try to outrun God? The answer, because his racism was greater than his own personal righteousness. His desire to nurse a grudge was stronger than his desire to minister grace. His own patriotism was mightier than his own passion for being obedient unto the Lord. Oh, Jonah he traveled south to the harbor town of Joppa. He purchased a ticket, boarded a boat, set sail for Tarshish, which is the furthest place on the planet from Nineveh. In fact, it's a thousand miles in the opposite direction. And that first night, Jonah goes below deck and he falls fast asleep, as if he has no cares in the world. When I read the sordid details of his defiant disobedience, I've got to be honest with you, I'm a bit shocked. I'm surprised that he actually safely made it to Joppa. It's a miracle to me that he had just enough money to purchase the ticket and he found the boat he was looking for. It's the one set sailing for Tarshish, that place that in his mind was the furthest place possible from Nineveh. It's amazing to me that he gets on that ship, he goes beneath the upper deck, and there he falls asleep, never losing one wink of sleep, as if he had nothing on his mind, no care in the world. 
My friend, let me tell you, just because things are going your way does not necessarily mean that you're in the will of God. Just because life is going your way, just because you've safely made it to Joppa, just because you have enough money to purchase whatever you want to purchase, just because you're going in the opposite direction of God, just because you're getting a good night of sleep, that's no indication that you are in the will of God. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said that God will not permit his children to sin successfully. God will not permit his children to sin successfully. He caused a raging storm to come across the sea. This storm was so severe that it caused the seasoned sailors to be reduced down to screaming schoolgirls. They were petrified. They resorted to a crude form of religion, the casting of lots, to try to determine who was responsible for this storm. The lots fell to Jonah. So the sailors went beneath the deck. They woke him up from his slumber. They interrogated him with 20 questions, and they reluctantly threw him overboard. They didn't want to throw him overboard, but Jonah was quite persuasive. He convinced them, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. If you think about that for a little while, you realize that Jonah would have rather died at sea than repent of sin. Jonah would have rather died at sea than repent of his own sin and actually be obedient to the word and will of God. Think about his twisted logic. He thought to himself, if if I don't go to Nineveh, they're not going to hear the gospel. And if they don't hear the gospel, they don't have an opportunity to respond in faith. And if they don't respond in faith, then they'll die without a relationship with God. And if they die without a relationship with God, they will certainly, all of them, go to hell, which is exactly the place that, that Jonah wanted them to go. And Jonah was willing to die at sea instead of repent of his sin. He convinced them to throw him overboard. And Jonah was thrown overboard, and sure enough, the storm subsided. But God does not allow his children to sin successfully. So he caused a great fish to come along and swallow Jonah. From inside the belly of the fish, from inside the belly of the fish, from inside the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed. He prayed, he said that in my distress, I called and he answered me. In the grave, I called to you and you listened to my cry for help. In those two lines, there's a significant yet subtle shift. Did you hear it? In the first sentence, Jonah regards God in the third person singular. I called and he answered. But in the second sentence, it's no longer regarding God in the third person singular, but the second person singular, in the grave, I called and you listened to my cry for help. When you're in the smelly belly of the fish, it's not enough to talk about God. You want to talk directly to God. 
And isn't it nice to know that even when you are in defiant disobedience, that God to which you pray can still answer. He can still listen to your cry for help. He can still rescue you from the pit. Isn't it nice to know that God still hears the prayers of his defiant, disobedient children? There is a myth that says that if you are unrighteous, God will not listen to your prayers. Righteous can be defined as right living. And you and I can can describe that Jonah is not doing right living. And yet God still hears his prayers. Just because you're disobedient to God, that doesn't forfeit your adoption papers. Jonah is still a child of the king. He's a disobedient child, but he's still a child of the king. He cries unto the Lord in his guilty distress. And God answers him. God listens to his cry for help. There is somebody here this morning who's running from God. You're trying to outrun the Lord. I know you're here, but you're really in Joppa. I know you're here, but you're really on the ship set sail for Tarshish. I know you're here in the sanctuary, but really you're below deck. I know you're here, but you're trying to outmaneuver the Messiah. You're trying to outrun the Savior. Jonah thought he could do that. Of course, it never dawned on him that if God wasn't going to send Jonah, he could send somebody else. Never dawned on him that God always gets the last word. Even though Jonah was willing to die at sea rather than repent, it is God who says, nope, you don't get the last word. He is the hound from heaven who adamantly pursues us, and he has a 100% success rate. God has never lost anybody on the table. God always gets who he wants, how he wants. God is one who can hear your cries in guilty distress. My friend, if you're trying to run from God this morning, Please, just stop and pray. I want you to pray in spite of your guilty distress. And the God that you're trying to run from, that God will hear, listen, he'll answer. Secondly, Jonah prayed in spite of gruesome circumstances. Jonah prayed in spite of gruesome circumstances. Jonah says, beginning in verses 3 to 6, You hurl me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. The currents swirl about me. Waves, breakers swept over me. I've been banished. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deeps surround me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. For the earth barred me in beneath. Do you hear the downward spiral of the life of Jonah? He went down to Joppa. He went down below deck. He was thrown down into the sea. He sank down to the heart of the sea. There is a downward spiral. There are gruesome uh, circumstances. The breakers, the waves are sweeping over him. Seaweed is wrapped around his throat. He's all but dead, certain that he's going to be banished from the sight of the Lord. It was John Piper who said, have you ever noticed that problems tend to pile up? They come at you in bunches. You're on your way to fix one problem and you get a flat tire. Problems come in bunches. 
they pile up, almost suffocate you. This is the experience that we have for Jonah. Jonah is overwhelmed in the sea. He's drifting in and out of consciousness. He doesn't know if he's going to be rescued. There's no promise that he's going to be redeemed. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. He says, beginning of verse 3, you hurled me into the sea. That's an interesting statement. Because according to chapter 1, it's the pagan sailors that hurled him into the sea. Yet here in chapter 2, verse 3, he says of the Lord, you hurled me into the sea. So which one was it? Was it the hands of the pagan sailors or was it the hand of God? And the best answer I can give you is this, that sometimes the hand of God takes various forms. The late great Had Robinson would oftentimes tell us the story that he grew up in Mousetown. Mousetown, according to him, was the rough part of Harlem. He was a street kid. He grew up on the streets. He grew up in a time and a day, uh, in, in, a, in a place where gang violence was the norm. He was beginning to come of age early in his adolescence. It was time for him. He was teetering between doing what was right and doing what was wrong. He had been drafted into one of the particular gangs in Mousetown. It came time for the first street fight. Robinson says, I've never been in a fight. Didn't know exactly what to do. So before he left the apartment, he took an ice pick, put it in his jacket. When he got there, he realized that his gang had showed up. The other gang had showed up. They were about to rumble. But then all of a sudden, blue lights showed up. The finest of the New York police officers came. And when they came, those seasoned gang members, they began to scatter like street mice. But Robinson says, I froze. I just stood right there. And all of a sudden, one of New York City's best and brightest came up and grabbed me by the nap of my neck. He says he began to pat me down, came across the area of my jacket, reached in and pulled out the ice pick. Son, what are you going to do with this? And in quick-witted Robinson fashion, he just said, sir, I'm going to break some ice. The officer spun him around. And Robinson said, the next thing I remember is the size 13 shoe of the right foot of that police officer kicking me in the backside halfway across the street. And the only thing I remember him saying is, son, go back home. And Robinson says, in retrospect, I did go back home. And that night changed my life. Because that night I realized my life is more than just being part of a gang. I need to be part of God. I need to give my life total surrender unto him. In hindsight, he says, on that night, the hand of God felt an awful lot like the right foot of that New York police officer. That's funny, isn't it? The hand of God can take various forms. It can feel like the hands of pagan soldiers. It can feel like the right foot of a New York police officer. It can come at you as a random comment in a conversation that you're having with the brother or sister in the Lord. God's hand can take various forms in your life. You just have to have the wisdom of Solomon to realize that that's God speaking unto me. When Jonah comes to Jonah chapter 2 and he prays from inside the fish, he comes to the accurate conclusion, it's not the hand of those pagan sailors that threw me into the deep part of the ocean. It is God. You hurled me into the deep. 
You get down to the end of verse 6, and he says, But you, you lifted my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. God, you got me in this mess, and only you can get me out of this mess. Jonah acknowledges, I'm here because of my defiant disobedience. But God, you permitted it. And what you permit, you promote for your good and for your glory. So God, you allowed me to get in this mess. And if you allow me to get in it, only you are the one who can get me out of it. But you lifted my life up from the pit, oh Lord my God. You lifted my life up from the pit. That's the picture of redemption. It's the picture of resurrection. It's the picture of God lifting our feet out of a slimy pit and setting it firmly upon the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. You lifted me out of the pit. Some of you here know that God is a just in the nick of time God. He shows up just in the nick of time. Just at the right time, when your life was ebbing away, when something terrible was happening to you, God stepped in, God showed up, God showed off. Somebody's here and you know what the pit smells like. You know what the pit looks like. You know what the pit feels like. And you know what it is for God to reach in and lift you up out of the pit. Some of you know what it is to be in the pit of depression. Depressed because of the death of a loved one, a spouse, a child, a friend, a family member. You know what that pit of depression looks like and feels like. Others of you know what it is to be in the pit of a downturned economy that's left you unemployed and unappreciated. Some of you know what it is to be in that pit of a health concern. The cancer is back and the prognosis is bleak. Some of you know what it is to be in the pit of overwhelming stress. You are drowning in the sea of swirling responsibilities and deadlines, and you don't know how in the world. You can't even keep your head, your nose above water. You're certain to go under. You know what it feels like. You know what it looks like. You know what it smells like to be in the pit. And some of you know what it is to be at the end of your rope. But when I've ever been at the end of my rope, I realize that my only hope is in God. For God is my hope. God is your hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have and he can lift us out of the Maori pit and set our feet upon the rock. Somebody in the house knows what it is to be lifted up in just the nick of time when God shows up. Jonah also prays third. Jonah prayed the glorious scriptures of God. Jonah prayed the glorious scriptures of God. It is Warren Wiersbe who says that in this prayer that Jonah prayed, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, there are up to portions of 30 psalms. Up to portions of 30 psalms. You get the idea that Jonah is spiraling downward. And he is just grasping for any scrap of Scripture he could remember. He's just claiming the promises of God. 
He's just reaching up and, and grabbing the scrap of scripture. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. Verse 7. He's grabbing scraps of scripture. Is there anybody in the house who knows the sustaining power of a scrap of scripture? Anybody in the house who knows the sustaining power of a scrap of scripture? You only got a scrap, but that's enough because it gets you to it and it gets you through it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh God, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The joy of the Lord is my strength. My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. If anyone lacks wisdom, all he has to do is ask and God will give it freely. Oh, my friend, do you know the sustaining power of a scrap of scripture? Jonah has no promise he's gonna be delivered. He has no promise from God. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Yet he's clinging to a scrap of scripture. Warren Wearsby says up to 30 portions of the parchment, up to 30 portions of the Psalms. And as he is spiraling down, he's just grabbing scraps of scripture. My friend, some of you, you know what the pit smells like. You know what it is to be in the smelly belly of the fish. You know what it is to be spiraling downward this morning. Can I just encourage you? to cling to the scrap of scripture that you know? Say, but pastor, I don't know very much. Well, let's just get into the word. And as God told Ezekiel, eat this scroll, digest it, take it into your life, allow it to nourish you. For we are to be people of the book. And it's in those moments when we are in that tough spot between the proverbial rock and a hard place that you and I just have to cling for scraps of scripture. And there's somebody who knows the sustaining power of a scrap of scripture. Fourth, Jonah prayed because of grace and in need of grace. Jonah prayed because of grace and in need of grace. Verses eight to 10. Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, I will make good on what I have vowed. For salvation comes from the Lord. At some point, Jonah is just pleading with the Lord, saying, God, if you get me out of here, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Anybody prayed that prayer before? God, if you just get me out of here, I'll do whatever you say. Everything I have promised, I'll make good on. That's what he's praying. If you get me out of here, I'll never miss church. If you get me out of here, I'll build you a cathedral in the desert. If you get me out of here, I'll be a missionary wherever you want. If you get me out of here, I'll go to Nineveh. Why? Because salvation belongs to you. Only you can redeem and restore. And God, if you choose to save some of those Ninevites, that's okay too. Just get me out of here. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, just get me out of here. And everything I promise, I'll make good on. You get me out of here, I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you give me some homiletical license, I think that God looked at Jonah and said, Jonah, I'm glad that you finally came to that conclusion. I'm glad you finally came to the conclusion that you will do anything and everything if I just get you out of here. Now, Jonah... 
the way I see it, brother, there are only two exit routes. And I'm going to give you the option. Because I'm a compassionate God. So I'll give you an option. You can either go north or you can go south. Which one do you want, old boy? And Jonah said, well, I've seen what this fish is eating. I do not want to go south. I don't really want to go north, but it's the lesser of two evils. So God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah on the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah, son of Amittai, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And Jonah obeyed. You bet your bottom dollar he obeyed. He knew what it was to disobey. So this time he says, yes, I will obey. And when he goes, can you imagine what Jonah smells like? Can you imagine what Jonah looks like? He smells like puke. I don't care if it's fish puke or human puke. It's puke. He smells like vomit. And his olive-colored skin is bleached white because of the acidic nature of the fish's belly. His hair, which probably was dark black, now became bleached white. He, he looks like Casper. He looks like Baymax. I mean, he, he looks like the Michelin man. He walks in and the people in Nineveh say, who's the white guy that just showed up? When he gets there, he automatically gains an audience because everybody wants to go. They don't get close. <laughs> they don't get close to him because he smells like vomit, but he looks peculiar. And so they walk up to him and he has a story to tell and he tells the story. My friends, you have a story to tell. Whatever God has brought you to, whatever God has brought you through, he's going to use it to further his kingdom. All you got to do is just tell your story. All you got to do is just be obedient to him wherever he tells you to go. That's what Jonah does. And when Jonah tells his story and he proclaims the gospel, revival breaks loose. Oh, this is revival where people are confessing their sin. Marriages are being put back together. Prodigals are being brought back home. Even the cattle are draped in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, everybody is confessing their sin unto the Lord. You expect Jonah just to be overjoyed. He goes outside the city gate. He climbs up on a hill. And the preaching prophet becomes a pouting prophet. He says, God, I told you this is exactly what you would do. This is why I didn't want to come. This is why I set sail for Tarshish, because I knew that you're a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I knew that you would accept some of those people who confess their sins and you would give them my gospel. You would give them your gospel. And I am so mad at you, God. You ever look like Jonah? When God does something that you don't like and you get angry at God and God provided a vine that grew beside the prophet it was a large vine. It had many large leaves on it, shaded the prophet's bleach blonde hair. And that made Jonah happy. And the next day, God provided a worm. And that worm came and ate every bit of that vine so that Jonah now sat under the scorching heat 
of the Assyrian son. And that made Jonah very mad. I'm angry at you, God. And God engages him in conversation. Do you have any reason to be mad at me? Yes, I do. I'm angry enough to die, he says. And God says, Jonah, you are all uptight. You're all upset because of a vine. Did you plant the vine? Did you tend the vine? Did you cause the vine to grow? That vine was here today and gone tomorrow, and you're all upset about a stinking vine. Jonah, I've got 120,000 people in the great city of Nineveh that don't know their right hand from their left. Should I not be concerned about them? This is one of the few books of the Bible that actually ends in a question. And we don't know how the question's answered. We don't know what Jonah says. We don't know how he responds. Everything in the story of Jonah is obedient to God except the prophet. The storm was obedient. The seas were obedient to God. The fish was obedient to God. The Ninevites were obedient to God. The vine was obedient to God. The worm was obedient to God. Everything's obedient to God except the prophet of God. So how is Jonah going to respond? We don't know. It's almost at this point that God invites you into the story. How would you respond? How are you going to respond? When God calls you to do something that you just do not want to do, how are you going to respond? It's also at this point in the story that you realize, you know what? We need a better prophet than Jonah. If we're pinning our hopes on Jonah, we are a lost lot of people. We need a better prophet than Jonah. We do have a better prophet than Jonah. His name is Jesus. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jonah was racist. Jesus is righteous. Jonah was fickle. Jesus is faithful. Jonah Reluctantly ministered to one city, Jesus joyfully ministers to the nations. Jonah went outside the city, sat and sulked. Jesus went outside the city, hung and saved. Jonah was disobedient to God. Jesus was obedient to God to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, as he's speaking to a group of Pharisees, he said, there is no sign that will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The generation of the Ninevites will rise up and will sin in judgment of this generation, for they responded to God in faith, and they had a lousy preacher named Jonah. Now one who is greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is talking about himself. When you stop and realize it, let me ask you this question. Who do you more resemble, Jesus or Jonah? When I ask myself that question, oh, how I want to say Jesus. But too many times I look like Jonah. Too many times I look more like Jonah than I look like Jesus. What say you? To all the Jonas in the house, today I want you to pray in spite of guilty distress. Stop trying to outrun God. Today, I want you to pray in spite of your gruesome consequences, for your hope is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning, I just want you to stop and pray the glorious scripture of the Lord. Just cling to a scrap of scripture that you know, because it has sustaining power, my friend. And this morning, I want you to pray 
I want you to pray because of grace and in need of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This morning, church, I just want you to stop and pray to our amazing God who is rich in grace. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Lord, there are some Jonas in the house, and we really want to look more like Jesus. So on this day, will you please help us? There are some people who are here, and they do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today can be the day of their salvation. Oh, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are floundering in disobedience. I pray that today your altar is full as we confess our sins unto you, as we are being revived. And Father, if there's one here who needs to join this church, I pray that today will be the day that they come to be part of this faith family. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.